Please be seated. So we're continuing today in 1 Corinthians. I want to introduce today's message by telling you about a friend of mine. Uh, this is a friend that none of you would know. It's not somebody from this region of the country or anything because it's some personal things I'll share with you, but uh, it remains confidential in that way. Uh, my friend was going through a really hard time a number of decades ago. He had a child who had an incurable medical condition that was never going to change. And the child was you know, probably in elementary school, and it just was clear that that was going to be something that the family had to live through. Uh, in addition to that, he was going through a situation where his marriage was just on the verge of dissolving. There were some infidelity and other matters that uh, really were a big source of suffering to him. Uh, in addition, he had undertaken a career change during that time, so there were all kinds of financial strains and trying to figure out what is life going to look like in this new season. And in that context, what I'm trying to to paint for you is a man who's under sustained trial. And with sustained trials come sustained temptations. And what he ended up doing in a, in a time of financial crunch was he decided to falsify things on his federal tax return to try to get um, some financial benefit out of that. And it was a bad decision. It was a decision that, that caused troubles over years and years to come. And I want to assure you that this man was a real believer. He was walking in faith and repentance. And this extended trial really provoked sin in his life that, that he entered into. And when we look at our text today, what we're going to see is, is Paul giving a Bible study to the Corinthians. And that's the angle that we want to take on this, that, that Paul is instructing both the Corinthians and us from an Old Testament passage about watching ourselves when we're under or involved in extended trials or temptations. So just to remind those of you who haven't been here over the last weeks, Paul has devoted several chapters now to trying to help the Corinthians give up going to pagan temples and eating food there that had been sacrificed to idols. He's trying to help them turn the corner and see that this is really frank idolatry, that it's unacceptable. And we don't know what went behind that for the Corinthians. We've kind of made conjectures about those things. But his Old Testament Bible study is to help them stand up under those trials and those temptations. So if you have your worship guide, you can look on page 12, and it'll be up on the screen. We're going to read this text in chunks and see what Paul has to say to the Corinthians and to us about being steady under trial or temptation. So 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll look at the first four verses. It says, For I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, 
For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And so as we begin to explore this idea that believers who know Jesus Christ, who truly know Him, have to walk in watchful endurance. That's really the point. The first thing that we want to talk about is enjoying the privileges that you have as a follower of Christ, if you're in Christ. And this is where he starts with his Old Testament Bible study. What Paul is doing here, and this is really a fascinating thing about how to read your Bible, because Paul looks at the Exodus. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible and everything, this is the story of God bringing plagues against Egypt, where his people were enslaved, and bringing them out through the Red Sea. They go through on dry land, and the sea washes over their enemies, the Egyptians, and then they're out wandering in the desert for 40 years because of their unbelief. Uh, That's where they are. This is the story that this is talking about. And what Paul is really emphasizing here, he uses New Testament sacramental language to talk about the Israelites. So I I really want you to be shocked by this, and I want you to kind of get hold of this how to read your Bible thing, because over the last 150 years, it became very, very popular to separate Israel and then the church into two different tracks. And this is probably one of the primary texts that speaks against this. He says to this Gentile congregation in Corinth, he calls them brothers, and then he says, our forefathers. Okay, you get that? Paul's a Jewish former Pharisee, and he looks back at the Israelites, the physical descendants of Jacob, and he says, they're our forefathers, all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike. They're, they're, they're covenantal forefathers out of God's people that he's saving. And he says then that they were baptized. Think about that. He's using New Testament sacramental language. They were baptized by going through the sea. And as they went in the desert, the cloud followed them by day and a pillar of fire by night. And who are they baptized into? Well, as they were baptized, they were baptized into Moses. Who's Moses? The great Old Testament prophet that foreshadows the final prophet to come. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. I'll raise up from among your brothers a prophet like yourself. That's Jesus. So all this is looking forward to Jesus. And then he says in in sacramental language, and what I mean by sacramental language is baptism and the Lord's Supper. He said they were out there in the desert eating spiritual food and drinking spiritual drink. And he's going to bring that back around later to talk about the Lord's Supper in a sermon just down the line from here. And so really what this is all doing, he's looking forward, he's saying that, that rock that they drank from in the desert... It was Christ. Christ was with them. He was shepherding them. And now, look at us later on. We didn't read this verse, and you'll see it later on. He says, These things were written down as examples to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So now we're getting around to my point from these first four verses is really this. You have privileges way above and beyond the Israelites because you live in the epic of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So you might say to yourself, 
wow, it would have been super cool to stand on the edge of the Red Sea. I just walked through on dry ground and then the Lord closes the waters over the Egyptians and they're all floating, chariots are going everywhere. Or I was, I was out in the wilderness and, and suddenly this, this manna, this spiritual food shows up and we don't know where it comes from or how it gets there. And then we complain and we got quail and all these kind of things, water flowing out of a rock. And he's saying, no, for you, Corinthians, and for you, Lexington Presbyterians, you get to say, I live in the fulfillment of the ages. These are the last days. There's nothing else to be revealed except the final coming of Christ. Jesus is the greater Moses. And those who've been baptized are baptized into Christ, the final prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one who was crucified for sinners, bearing their sins in his body on a tree. He's the only one who died and then was raised to life, never to die again. Everybody else that had been raised to life, they were going to die again. But Christ rose to an eternal life, and there you're baptized into him, bringing you into his resurrection, eternal life. And that's the epic from the time of the resurrection through eternity. These are the privileges that believers have. The fulfillment of the ages is upon us. And so he's going to get around now. Remember, we're talking about you've got to watch and endure is the main point of this text. But the first step in that is enjoying the privileges that you have in Christ. So you have to ask yourself the question. This is a mixed group. I don't know all of you. Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ as the prophet, priest, and king who saves? Young people, are you still riding on the coattails of your parents? Or have you said for yourself, yes, I need a savior. I need a final prophet, priest, and king who's offered himself for my sins. And so if you believe that, if you've entrusted yourself to Christ in that way, this is about, you, you can't go any farther in this passage without hearing those privileges that you have in the new covenant. And when I think about this, I, most of you have seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. And there, there are great pictures of the Grand Canyon. You know, all the striated rocks going down the wall of the canyon, its breadth and its width. If you have a wide-angle lens, it looks really nice. But it's just not the same as standing on the edge of the canyon and letting the wind blow in your face and looking at the whole thing for miles and miles and miles. And what Paul's getting at here for the believers in Corinth is that all these great acts of God in saving Israel were pictures, they were shadows, they were types pointing to the fulfillment. And you now live in the time of that fulfillment. And the key issue, I would, I would argue that the key issue, that we've talked about how this is the same, the key issue here is that God has given His Spirit a new heart and a new mind in the new covenant that wasn't there in the old version of the covenant. So what that means is for those who believe, you have real fellowship with the risen Christ. And I really want to press, I really want to press on this. Is God speaking to you by His Word when you read your Word in the morning? When you read the Word sometime during the day, when you're meditating on Scripture, are you having a real living relationship with the risen Christ? And are you listening to what the Word says? Are you confessing your sins apart from corporate worship and saying, Lord, I want to endeavor to walk with you? 
Do you have a real life of faith and repentance? And then so what that means is this is what, it's, what it means to have a conversational relationship with the risen Christ and to enjoy fellowship with him, to be able to say, oh, look how God has loved me. And when you're going through trials and sufferings to say his intention of that is to pour his love abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit whom he's given me. So we, we, before we go on with the rest of this text, which has some pretty tough things to say, by the way, we have to just say, are you enjoying your relationship as a son or daughter of God with the risen Christ? And if not, why not? Are you too busy? Are you distracted by other things? Are you, are you driven to despair by certain circumstances? Well, this is just an invitation to come back and say, that I want to enjoy being loved by God through faith in the risen Christ. I want to exult in being a son or daughter of God. Now, what Paul has emphasized in the text that we looked at is the all, 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 all. And, and this is something he's going to come back to in just a minute. But what he was emphasizing here is, hey, all those Israelites, I think it was 600,000 men, something like that, it was a bunch of people, they all passed through the sea. They all drank water from the spiritual rock. They all ate spiritual food. But now he comes to the part about watching and being careful, particularly under chronic trials. Let's look, uh, beginning at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, this is all, all the ones that were under that sacramental sign, the cloud was over them. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Uh, another translation says that their bodies were scattered in the desert. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So let's just keep our, our finger on this desiring evil. This is a warning to those who are in sacramental covenant community that we not be led astray by evil desires. And so now he's going to give, what happens now is he's into the thick of the Bible study and if you haven't read Exodus and Numbers recently, you've got to go read Exodus and Numbers because Paul is sort of conflating and putting things together for us for this Bible study. He says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is from Exodus 32. God had just said in Exodus 20, uh, You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make any images of me. He gave them the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. Now we're at Exodus 32, and Moses is up on the mountain getting the rest of the law. And the people go, we don't even know what happened to this guy Moses. <laughs> we're just out, we're lost in the desert. We, were we, we had regular food given to us in Egypt, and now here we are. We've come out through the Red Sea, but we're not in the promised land. Moses is gone. We, we better take matters into our own hands. What should we do? You see, this is unbelief. And it leads to idolatry. Well, I'll tell you what let's do. 
we don't really know who the Lord is. It's a lot better for us to have a visual representation. Let's throw all our jewelry in the fire and out pops a calf. And we'll say, oh, this is the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Direct idolatry. He's, and Paul's saying, don't be like that. And we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. This is after Balaam refuses to curse Israel, but then incites the Moabites to seduce them through sexual immorality. And we don't know the chronic nature of that trial, what was going on there. Were they trying to assimilate with the people so that they could make it through to the promised land? It's not clear, but there's a warning in that. Verse 9 says, we must not put Christ, again, we have Christ there with them, to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So I just want to bring this conflation of Bible studies down to a couple of issues. Um, one is unbelief leading to idolatry. The second is grumbling or dissatisfaction leading to putting the Lord to an unjust test. How does this look in our lives? What does this look like? Well, let's say that you're single, you're lonely, you would like to be married, you prayed and prayed, you prayed and prayed, you prayed and prayed. And then finally you said, the Lord's not with me in this. Unbelief? I better take matters into my own hands. Let me just grab the closest person I can find. Doesn't matter if they're unequally yoked with me, that, that they can be an unbeliever. It doesn't even matter how, um, in an objective way, mismatched we are. It doesn't even matter what kind of character deficits the person's exhibiting. Those of you who've been around for a while know what I'm talking about. There's a kind of blindness there's a kind of blindness that comes over people at that stage. And they say, I, I, I have to do this on my own. Unbelief leading to idolatry. Or you, you just can, can be out there grumbling. You've got chronic health problems. Um, the only job you have is a job that you hate. You don't like to go to work. Your boss is unreasonable. And you slide off into bitterness and grumbling. And see, the, the real danger here, the point I'm trying to make is, most of the time, trials that lead to temptations, that lead to idolatrous actions, are long-standing, difficult things that come into our lives. They more rarely are just flash you're confronted with a temptation. And so what Paul's saying here is, please watch. We look at this, all these people who came out through the Red Sea and in the desert, all of them claimed a sacramental presumption. Everything, every, I can just do whatever because everything will be okay because I'm under the umbrella of people who are following the Lord. That's presumption. And this is a warning. This is a warning for us 
to not be led astray by evil desires, particularly when we're undergoing a longer trial or temptation. So, I believe Paul is setting up the Corinthians for the sort of the clinching argument that we're going to get next week. I think you have to conclude that they were claiming this sacramental um, exclusion. Hey, we were baptized. We're part of the Lord's Supper. Uh, We can go eat in an idol temple. It'll be all right. And Paul's saying to them, watch out, be careful. Guard your heart. Look at what's going on. So I just would ask you today, what what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Where have trials, difficulties become such that you despair that the Lord is with you and put him to the test? Do you know what putting the Lord to the test means in this? It's, Lord, I've decided what the answer to my prayer should look like. And for you to be faithful, you have to come through exactly this way. I want water in the desert, and I want it now. I want it my way. And I'm tired of manna. Back in Egypt, we used to have figs and pomegranates. This is what I want. And if you don't come through the way I said, then you're not faithful. So we just want to, we just want to say there that the Lord gives us these things so that we can grow in endurance, and so that we can turn away from evil desires. So the first point in all this is, are you enjoying Christ? You see, if you're enjoying Christ, it, it, it shields you from all these things. But then you're still a sinner, right? <laughs> and you still have difficult things in your life. And so he's saying, watch yourself. Be careful. And then the last thing that we want to say in this is that you can endure because God is faithful. Look down here at the end. It says, verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation, and I just remind you that this word for temptation can mean either trial or direct temptation or testing. And it depends on the context how you should translate it. And I think it's a little bit of a coin toss here. I saw in the ESV that sometimes they put trial in the footnote and whatnot. Uh, I'm not sure that Paul really wants us to make a sharp distinction here. Uh, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted or tried beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endurance. So notice the word to endure and the faithfulness of God. That He's faithful. He's not going to let you be tried beyond what you can endure. What, is this, what does this look like? Well, one of, the, one of the classic examples of God providing a way of escape, escape in trials comes from the life of a fellow named Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was from the U.S. He went overseas. I think first he was going to go to India, but he got sort of shuttled off to Burma, which is now Myanmar. This was in the early 1800s. And William Carey told him in India not to go to Burma because it was too hard. Too many people had died. Too many things had gone wrong. 
But that's where Judson went. And after he was there some decade, I think, without very much fruit, uh, he was placed in prison. Uh, Britain and uh, Myanmar got into a war. Uh, and the way he was imprisoned was his feet were shackled. And at night, they would put bamboo rods through the prisoner's feet and lift them up, lift their feet completely up off the floor so that only their shoulders and their heads touched the floor all night long. That's how he was. For 17 months, he was in that prison, really close to death. All through that time, he had a new baby girl, and his wife would go down and appeal for him to be released repeatedly every day, over and over again. Finally, suddenly, Adoniram Judson was, he was released because the government needed him to translate in their dispute with Great Britain. And it was just on the heels of that, within a year, that his wife passed away, as well as his daughter, from chronic illnesses. And something sort of broke with Adoniram Judson. He withdrew from everybody and went out kind of into the woods. Uh, he dug a big hole beside his little hut out there in the, in the woods. It was his grave. And he sat beside this grave sort of day after day, pondering what it would be like for the disillusion, disillusionment of his body after he, after he passed away. And so he was in a really, really dark, dark place of unbelief. He gave up on his translation work and everything. And he actually wrote in his journal out there, he said, I, I believe that God really exists, but I can't find him. He's, he's not with me in this, basically. And it was actually the death of his brother. He left his younger brother in the United States as an unbeliever some time before. And he heard that his brother had passed away at 35, but that he had come to saving faith before he passed away. And that sort of shocked Adoniram Judson into beginning to believe again the reality of the resurrection and the power of Christ so that he was able to, to climb by the Lord's help out of this period of severe depression and loss. And so when we think about the Lord providing a way of escape, it doesn't always mean that our circumstances would change, right? And this is the thing, I think we look back at those desert wanderings and we think, oh wow, you know, these people, they, they, why were they so easily swayed into unbelief? Well, think about it. This is 40 years in the desert, wandering around in the desert, eating the same stuff every day, having 600,000 people and then more, probably double that at least, uh, and all the cows and everything, where are we supposed to get water now? Just think about the stresses and strains of that situation. And what this text is telling us is that God's faithful. And what we have is the assurance that if Christ has been raised from the dead, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not along with Him graciously give us all things? That is what has to be ringing in our minds when the Scripture says that no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But with the temptation, God is faithful and He will provide a way of escaping that that trial doesn't become sin to you. Now, what does this look like for you and for me? What does it look like for God to provide a way of escape for us? Well, 
I want to suggest to you that 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 pathway is always in the very simple use of the means of grace. If you're not familiar with that language, I'll try to explain it to you. How does the Lord meet with you and keep you and give you endurance? He does it by bringing you to corporate worship where you sing, you hear Scripture read over you. It's not individual, it's corporate. You hear the preaching of the Word, the Lord's present by His Spirit in the preaching of the Word. And then, very importantly, you see sacraments happening. You see the sacramental argument in this, and then Paul is really going to anchor his prohibition against idolatry around the Lord's Supper. So God has provided us with spiritual drink and food in the Lord's Supper. And so we neglect those means of grace to our own peril. To think cavalierly about this. Oh, I'll just be able to endure. I'll make it through the desert on my own. And then, importantly, your own personal intake of Scripture and talking to the Lord. And, and let me just be clear about this. Uh, the Israelites really were supposed to stop and go, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you clearly saved us with plagues and the parting of a sea. We don't have any doubt that you're with us. We actually don't know what to do right now because we're really super thirsty. Will you help us? We thank you that you're with us. We're not going to give in to unbelief. Will you help us? And then if that answer doesn't come immediately, they're most welcome to say, Lord, I'm really, really thirsty. And it's really, really hot. Help me. And so there's this fine line between sliding off to bitterness and unbelief and crying out in lament to the Lord in the midst of your trial. So we absolutely want to commend to you crying out to the Lord who loves you in the midst of a trial. But not giving in to bitterness, to unbelief, to grumbling, to putting the Lord to the test, to the idolatry of saying, I'm going to take these matters into my own hands. And part of that will come through fellowship. And so if that's you today and you're enduring some trial, you really want to find another person who has the Spirit of Christ just to walk with you and listen to you. So those are the basic means of grace where God communicates to us His path of escape from trials and temptations. Now, just uh, we're going to wrap up here, but I, I do want to say this. Um, uh, well, I, I, won't go, I won't go completely down that path, but you know, these kinds of passages really trouble some people. I am caught in bitterness and unbelief. I have had idolatrous transgressions. I am on these things. Maybe my body's going to be scattered in this desert land. Listen, we you not go there? We rather say, oh, God has provided these warnings from Scripture for me, and I will gladly turn back to Him and to His mercy. You see that? All those promises that Jesus isn't going to lose, not one single sheep that has been given to him, are absolutely true. 
But how does he keep you enduring to the end? By warning you against the evil desires of idolatry. So you can, you can either take this and go into a tailspin of doubt and worry, or you can take this and stand up and say, God, thank you for warning me. I realize that I have the residual of evil desires. Jesus, save me. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has the power to keep you. And all you have to do is turn to him in repentant faith again and again and again. May the Lord meet with us so that we enjoy the fulfillment in which we live, that we watch for evil, idolatrous desires that rise up in our hearts, and that we endure through the faithfulness of God through Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we want to ask you that you would come and meet with us individually and corporately. Lord, we so badly need you um, so that we don't give up, so that we don't slide into bitterness and unbelief, so that you can make your glory seen in uh, people who are walking with you in faith and repentance and you pouring your love abroad in our hearts. So, Lord, write these things in our hearts. Uh, Take away any presumption that we have. Save your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.